When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. at Newport Beach and I'm going to tell you this right now. I've started a new thing. Oh no. I'm giving star ratings to these episodes. Okay. All right. And we're about to talk about The Perfect Storm, season three, episode Mm -hmm. five. I gave this a 3.5 out of five stars. Ultimately, I found this episode fairly enjoyable. I need to know what, like, up till now, what's a one star, and up till now, what's a five star? Like, go back retroactively. Um, so, something like Rainy Day Women is an episode I think about a lot. So, I'd say that that was like a five star episode for me. Okay. All had an absolute blast with it, loved it. Um, I would say that a one star episode would be like season three, episode two, <laughs> with <laughs> like, like, it's not necessarily an indictment of the quality of the episode, but like how much was I screaming at the TV and contemplating why I'm still doing this podcast? <laughs> okay. That's okay, good. Okay. And the, and this was mostly this was mostly wins. Um I also have to celebrate. I was right. I called it. I think I literally said they introduced the Dean Hess thing. He will be gone by the next episode. That is the uh, that is the OC way. And unless I'm wrong, is that I believe this is a series wrap on this dude, right? He's not going to show up in season four out of nowhere and just be like, well, "Hey guys, I'm back." Well, he I heard Marissa's dead. I wanted to join the core four now. He I hear there's a vacancy in the core four. <laughs> he doesn't show up in season four. That's for sure. All right. I don't know if he's going to show up again in this season, but it with some, I would say with like ninety percent certainty that we're done with Dean Hess for now. Yeah, fuck yeah. All right. So you know who we're not done with, Taylor Townsend. Taylor Townsend, which we'll get into that. That's next week, theoretically. We start off this episode. Kirsten is still on her. I'm out of rehab. I know how to cook. She's making this fancy mm. breakfast for the guys. And it's it's funny because I'm like, that looks really good. 
but it also looks like something that with my like middle class palette would be like this looks too fancy for me (laughs) it's like it's like a poached egg with some like some type of gravy drizzled over top of it and i'm like this looks delicious i'll probably hate it probably not gonna like it but (laughs) i'm impressed for for kirsten's entire thing was how bad of a cook she is that looks like a pretty well done complicated yeah breakfast yeah she she's trying her best i mean just consider that what two seasons ago we had like some non-existent maid now <laughs> but there yeah. was a there was a housekeeper who cooked for them the whole thing was that like you know Kirsten could order a mean takeout and uh you know organize a great uh catering spread so it's nice to see her trying new things yes no I don't, uh... this is not going to turn into like this is now Kirsten's new thing and she's going to reopen the Balboa lighthouse and make it her restaurant. Like, Wait, Joe, are you telling doing. me that there's a character arc that they've introduced that they'll just abandon midway through? Because <laughs> I have a feeling that I probably won't see Teresa anytime soon. <laughs> it's just Teresa will they, pop up when you least expect her. I think it's just a loose plot line <laughs> blowing in the wind yeah. once again. Oh, remember that restaurant that Kirsten owned? Well, yeah. Teresa's apparently <laughs> love child with. <laughs> Ryan also works there. Also works there. They they'll take anybody as a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, the dean has this vendetta against Ryan and Marissa, and it's like it's so bizarre. Like it's okay. so like like every time that he's like talking to Sandy or like that he's put these notes on. Ryan's personal record to guarantee that he won't get into a college. It's just like, Mm -hmm. it has been two weeks that you've been in this town. Like, how do you get this strong of a vendetta that quickly? (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't calculate properly. No, he, I, I really don't like how they did it because it's just, there's no typically right with villains the way that you construct a villain is that you have to give them some sort of, you have to give them a little bit of humanity and origin story, at least the very well done villains, right? But here's the thing, the OC, and I've used this phrase probably three times already, and I will probably use it a million more times. The OC loves an anonymously evil person. <laughs> like, like it's just like they're just evil, or they're just a, they're just a bad human being. Yeah, no need to dive any further. Just accept it and move on. We don't have the time to work this out. I mean, because even like again, my girl Julie Cooper, right? Yeah. Julie Cooper's guiding light is that she is trying to be the best mother that she can be, and. That part of that, a big part of that is also like, can I provide for my children and for myself while not, it's very D&D character, right? Like, it's very like, you know, here's your secret motivation that (laughs) like she's like chaotic. She's chaotic, lawful when it comes to taking care of her kids, essentially, like she'll do whatever is necessary. One of my favorite things to do is add a line of dialogue to a scene. And there's Mm -hmm. this scene where Summer and Marissa are sitting in the bedroom and they're talking and Marissa says how she's not really, college isn't really on her radar right now. And Summer says, 
but you're a senior. How is college not on your radar? And I wrote, oh, because I plan to be dead before this season's over. (laughs) It's ominous foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. Talking about Julie Cooper, she's like living in this dump of a hotel trying to like figure out how to get a place for her and Marissa. Uh, And there's there's this visual joke where it looks like she's sunbathing somewhere glorious and then like someone's getting arrested and like walking right past her. And as it pans out to this like kind of shithole that she's outside of, I'm like, why even bother sunbathing at this point? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> it's like this is not the place where you want to be, just like hanging outside. Yeah, why call um, attention to yourself? Exactly. Now, something that I don't love in this episode is I don't know why Seth isn't buying Summer's story that she saw the Dean and and Taylor kissing. Like, it doesn't make any sense to doubt this story like i know that you haven't seen any evidence but like why would why would summer just like fabricate that up yeah like it just it it doesn't make sense but she does get a fantastic joke that only worked in 2007 where taylor is texting someone on a on their sidekick mm-hmm. and and summer says i'd like to sidekick it's <laughs> like god damn that that piece of phone technology that was all the rage for like a year and a half and then just like promptly disappeared when the iphone became an option um it made me smile it made me smile it made me remember simpler times but it was also a plot point in gilmore girls at this time there is a yeah. scene i think in season six season six it's got to be season six. But anyway, um, maybe it was season five. But there's a scene where um, Rory's dad, Christopher, gives her a sidekick and he has one too. And it's like, you know, they're texting and all this stuff. And I remember I remember thinking those things were so cool. I knew someone who had them and it was well, just like secret so agent type shit. Let's, let's be honest. At this point in time, I'm booking bands and I'm booking bands through MySpace. And every member of every band had a sidekick, every single one of them, because it was the best way to be connected to some form of the internet on a phone back then, because you could have AOL Instant Messenger on your sidekick, and you could have access to your emails. So it totally made sense why it was marketed so hard to bands. Like, while you're stuck in a tour bus for the next eight hours, you can be communicating with fans at the show that you're heading to and getting them excited to come out and you can be posting on your MySpace and you can be sending out a newsletter and you can like be doing all this from the van, not Mm -hmm. needing to be like at a computer. Cause this wasn't even really, I mean, laptops were a thing, but like not, not wireless laptops yet, not wireless for sure. Um, And even if they were wireless, like it would be maybe 30 minutes tops that you would have of like, charged up battery time like it was it was not the norm just yet so it was kind of the best option the best of all the both best of both worlds um something that i am really loving in this episode and it's it's definitely going to be something that gets messy but i do like that ryan and johnny kind of get along right there's a Uh scene where ryan shows up and he shows up to the school and they're like literally sitting there and, and having a bonding moment. And it 
and it is nice. Now, Johnny creates an issue in this episode. Um, <laughs> you you said that very delicately. Yes. So, but I don't think, I don't know. It's hard to tell with, I get what you mean when you said that this was a Jess situation where they're not, they're not going to turn anyone evil, but there's this introduction of a potential new suitor that's going mm-hmm. to cause rocky terrain, a la Jess in season two yeah. of Gilmore Girls. Um, I don't think that Johnny is nefarious. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that Johnny's like, I know, I'm going to tell Ryan to get a job as a fisherman so he's out of the picture and I can get with Marissa. Like, yeah. I think he just literally was like, hey, man, like, if you're down on your luck, if you're, like, done with school and you're trying to figure out how to how to do things on your own, like, this is a viable option that I think you'd be able to really excel yeah. in and make a lot of money doing. Like, which, I, uh, which <laughs> like, uh, here's the thing about fishermen in Southern California, right? Like, I know that's a thing. I actually know a friend who's, like, baby daddy is one of these types of fishermen. But it's also very, like... New England, it's very dangerous catch. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's very midnight mass, right? Where it's like all the kids work on the ship or work on the boats. So, for me, it's like unless you lived here, you would think that, like, unless you lived here and you knew people, like, this just seems weird. Like, yeah. it just seems weird that, like, there's this blue, there's this particular kind of blue collar industry in, in Newport Beach. Right. Yeah, that's like that, that's, that's a little huge. off. Yeah, no, that's that's just you know plot help there. Summer has this plan to to catch Taylor and Dean, and I actually think it's a smart plan. Is that she doesn't play her hand; she plants jealousy in Taylor's head to see how she reacts, and says like, "Yeah, I saw the Dean making out with our gym teacher it was so gross," and like talking about it, and then watching. And being mm-hmm. like, do does something come of this? It's a pretty smart way to try to prove your point without revealing your hand yeah. just yet. So I've gotta gotta applaud applaud that. This is basically where they find out that like Ryan's probably not gonna go to college. This is why he's gonna go on this fishing boat. Yeah. Potentially. He put and- a letter, the dean put a letter in Ryan's file that like no reputable school would which, take him in which they they say like reputable like the schools that are there right yeah like he could fucking go to you know well, pasadena city college well that's what they said they said go to a good community college for two years prove your worth and like go into the like an even better college from how good your test scores are there like, yeah At maximum mediocrity, people say things like, I don't dress like this on a regular basis. This isn't my, you know, pooping uniform. This is not (laughs) And they also say things like, The the nurses are usually either angels of mercy or whores. Every episode is a new experience where you get to know people that aren't famous, but should be. Why am I facing Floyd Mayweather in the Woods. My co-host Morgan and I track down the people you didn't know you needed to hear from. It's like hot sex in a mug. We are the Maximum Mediocrity Podcast, and we are on all major podcasting platforms. We'll be waiting for you. I mean, there's a scene where they're at the dinner table, and Ryan talks back to Sandy. Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's a weirdly powerful moment, because it's very rare that you see Ryan talk to Sandy like that. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he talks to Sandy with all this respect, but it's like you can't help but feel for this kid who's just tried his best to do everything with the opportunities that are put in front of him and just gets beaten down by nonsense like this. Yeah. And you know, that is that is a really compelling situation. Marissa goes to convince Ryan not to go, right? And and I wrote this weird note. I said, I, I can't help but love Ryan the more that he's beaten down, though. Like, there's mm-hmm. just, like, a very, like, all shucks version of him that comes out when, like, everything's gone to shit. Um, that is kind of weirdly charming to me. But she goes to convince him not to leave, and her pep talk is essentially basically just screaming at him for what a piece of shit he's being and yeah. how selfish he is and how he reminds her of her dad running away. Oh, and I was, was like, <laughs> I was like, God damn. I loved it because I loved it for a couple of reasons because you think it's going to be this poignant message. Oh, yeah. And then she's just like, you're leaving just like my dad left and it didn't work out for him either. And then just... <laughs> And then, and then mic drop, walk away. Like, yeah. what more is there to say at that point? It's almost like you can kind of see, and this is probably giving, you know, no offense to Misha Barton, but this is kind of maybe giving her a little too much credit because, like, you can, to me, it's like you can tell that she wanted to, she wanted to, like, be lovey-dovey and forgiving and then, like, turn and then abandon that because she started to feel anger, which... Yeah is something I relate to a lot. It's like, I feel like I'm going to forgive you right now, but in this moment, I have so much anger that I'm going to abandon that strategy. And then she abandons him. I also want to shout out, and I... Rachel Bilson, man. Like, Mm -hmm. I was looking up her credits. She hasn't done much in the last 10 years. No, Like, Like, almost no movie roles and, like, the occasional TV show appearance here or there. Mm Mm-hmm. Her comedic timing is the best in the whole show. Like, like there are times in this show where I'm like legitimately frustrated by everything happening plot point wise, and she just delivers a line that's like a full home run. The scene where they're all awkwardly having dinner together, mm-hmm. she is like the best piece of levity throughout that entire scene because she's trying to hold it all together and trying not to let it fall apart and it's like trying to be bubbly like I really the last like couple episodes I've really grown to appreciate Rachel Bilson as just a as a comedic actress and I I would I'm waiting for like her in her 40s to make this big comeback yeah. doing like like comedy mom roles or something mm-hmm. cuz she she really does have the skills. Let's briefly talk about Charlotte. She's she's not a huge focus on this episode. It's kind of more like she shows up to remind us that she's there. She might be the worst scam artist I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> because like why would now, she say that? <laughs> Cuz she's somehow buying a super expensive condo with the hypothetical scam money that she's going to get it. So like it's just like how much overhead are you spending on your hopeful big get? You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. like I I feel like every single thing she tries to do to make this Kirsten thing work is just like it's it's almost comical. Like like the first couple episodes it was like maniacal and now I'm watching it I'm like this is like <laughs> 
This is like watching a villain in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon just like get <laughs> get in their own way with like the the main hero never even knowing that they're dealing with a villain. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like they're just such like a like this is like she's like the snidely whiplash of <laughs> very clumsily. Yeah, like like I don't think Kirsten's ever gonna figure out that Charlotte's a scam artist. I think that she's just gonna bumble her way through it and then realize like, oh, this isn't working. I should just go. <laughs> like it's it's real rough. The last thing that I had written down that made me laugh mm-hmm. is the way that they entrap the dean. Right, is that they get a phone, they text. Taylor from the phone claiming to be the Dean. And in that moment, they rattle off like six plot points that have happened in the history of the OC where they're like, we're going to stay at this hotel. And they're like that hotel. Isn't that the hotel where Marissa's mom had sex with Luke and where this happened and where this plot point. happened? Yeah. It's, it's like, Oh my God. Where Ryan got Teresa pregnant. Like, yeah, there's like all these, like everyone needs that. So what is, what is uh Seth call it? They're like den of iniquity or the den of sin. Um, But it reminded me of like how every, every time that the Mars investigations, like, Papa Mars yes. and Veronica needed to hide someone. They always chose that la shitty Ocean Beach Hotel. Yep. <laughs> which here's a couple things. That ocean that the facade of that of that place is a real it's a real hotel. <laughs> and <laughs> I've I've actually been there before because I had a friend who stayed there for her birthday once and it's not that bad. It's not shitty. Yeah. But it's just so like it's like you need to have the one like like I refuse to which... believe that there is only this like what do they call it? The sea sprite, I think, is what it's yeah. called in in um in Veronica Mars. Like you can't. There, there's got to be more than one. Like I know. Which, like the flip side with the Veronica Mars of it all. Like if you're trying to find a person and you even know that the Mars family agency is even remotely tied to that person in any way, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll start at the motel that they put all of their clients in week after week, and then Sandy Cohen, man. Working his magic, like selling the existence of photos that may or may not have existed mm-hmm, just through mm-hmm. through his very persuasive ways. And what ultimately happens is they basically say to Taylor, either you go and talk to Seth's dad and you tell him the truth or... I will make sure that every single person in the school knows that this is a thing that happened. And what is that going to do for you? Yeah. Like, um, so it's a pretty, they, they, they played it pretty well. Like I said, all in all really liked this show had a, had a nice blend of shenanigans and drama comedy and heart. Uh, the things that I do look forward to in a good OC episode. So so 3.5 out of 5, Joe. 3.5 out of 5. Okay. All right. I can, I can receive that. Now, what I wouldn't give 3.5 out of 5 to is the soundtrack on this week's episode. Shitty, um, right? Yeah. Forgettable. Not really anything going on there. We've got Blind Asylum by Oridia Fink. I think is how it's pronounced. Uh, that's when Ryan and Bizarro Ryan are talking about his options for the future. Um, also known as Johnny. <laughs> Bizarro Ryan. 
Weight, Weight of the World by the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club plays when Marissa confronts Johnny about telling Ryan about this job. And then the Dandy Warhols holding me up is the last song of the episode. I'm just going with that Dandy Warhols episode song because A, I like the Dandy Warhols. B, we were talking about Veronica Mars earlier and they do the Veronica Mars theme. So it seems like fate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to agree with you because uh, I really don't have an opinion. Like I was, yeah. I was, <laughs> I remember after I watched, you know, we, we do these two at a time. So I watch both and I was just like, is that it? <laughs> is there really nothing? Was there nothing I, memorable? I I feel like if we were to sit down and look at all of the songs in the different episodes, I'm sure we could find what is the song that ate up so much of the soundtrack budget in a specific mm-hmm. episode that we had to deal with bullshit for four episodes afterwards. Like, yeah. Yeah. like I'm sure that there's like these episodes where the song's price point is so high. And then they're like, all right, well, now we just got to find some bands on MySpace and see if they want to send us a song for free to play in the OC that no one's ever heard before. Um, Well, the last thing we got to do is talk about our pop culture promotion. Um, This would have made way more sense in October, but whatever. I'm I'm way behind on these pop culture promotions. I watched a lot of shit. Uh, There is a very great documentary, very upsetting documentary uh, that was on Hulu. It may be on Netflix now too. There's like this. Have you seen? That there's like a weird thing where streaming apps are like releasing their stuff on Netflix as well. Like mm-hmm. School Spirits is both on Paramount Plus. It's a Paramount Plus original show that's also on Netflix. It's very weird. Um, I don't like it because for well, I mean, quote well, it devalues. Why do I have Paramount Plus at a certain point? But it, it, exactly, it like it kind of it to me it's it does two things right it's like okay are we are we headed for some sort of like monopoly situation i don't know why there's balloons um <laughs> apparently we headed for some sort of monopoly situation it was the secret word monopoly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is it that this show was originally like it was canceled on paramount plus and has now been picked up and will be on um netflix because they did that with you you used to be you but paramount plus has already announced that they're doing the second season of school spirit so i don't know what the fuck is going on and there's like have you seen like there's like top chef is on netflix but it's like not even all the seasons of top well that's that's like survivor survivor like random seasons of survivor are on like hulu or netflix or if you go on paramount you have the whole like 43 Mm -hmm. season run anyway my point being there's a documentary on hulu possibly it's also a netflix called monster inside the truth of mckimmy manor Mm -hmm. um if you know anything about haunted houses and scares and stuff you know that mckimmy manor is awful uh the people who run it are sociopaths it just seems like a very bad bad situation and there was a previous documentary that tried to stay very biased about it um, sure. that was kind of just focusing on like, here's what the operations are like. And here's this kooky guy who runs it. And like, here's some interviews with people who sign up for it and why they love it. This is interviewing people who years later are still having PTSD and trauma around what happened to them inside of that home and are working on a lawsuit to basically shut the place down. It's still um, operational. I, if it's not operational, it's only within the last year 
that it is not operational. And it would be because of this documentary if that was the case. Like hmm. it is it, it it dives into more of the background of the guy who runs it and when that other documentary was made, he had people who worked for him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it was like he would come up with these ideas and he'd have like 10 or 15 employees. He has no more employees, Joe. He does these 12 hour tortures completely by himself. And that alone is like, that's weird. <laughs> that's not uh, that, that, that it's unwell. That person yes. is unwell. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's very interesting. I definitely recommend watching it. Obviously huge, 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 huge trigger warning in the sense of like, they're talking about some really messed up shit that people did inside these houses. So, uh, there's that. Joe, how about you? Give us something more jolly. Uh, <laughs> um, so you know how I love cookbooks, right? Yeah. So I got a new cookbook for Christmas. Um, it is called All About Cookies. Mm-hmm. And it's from, uh, it was from my sister. And basically it is a, um, it's a cookbook that, uh, it's by Christina Tosi, who some folks may know her because she's the creator of Milk Bar. And, you know, you've probably seen the, like, Milk Bar cookies or cake pops at your local Target or on the internet. And um, I've had her stuff. It's really great. I've been to the Milk Bar in Vegas. And she made a cookbook about just cookies but it's all like this cookbook is is solidly like intermediate to advanced for bakers and i say that because like initially when you're looking at the recipes everything is by weight which is how like quote-unquote the like more advanced bakers do everything because it assumes you have a scale and you're not just like measuring things on like your little measuring cups that you got when you were in college and I've not done, um, I've only done one cookie from here so far, but it was the butterscotch pudding, a butterscotch, a pecan butterscotch pudding cookies. And it has like instant butterscotch pudding in it and pecans and the recipe only makes 12, but they're huge. So delicious. I'm about to try and maybe I'll send you a picture so you can post it on the socials, but I'm about to try um, the... Captain, uh, not the cinnamon toast crunch, uh, marshmallow cookies. Joe, <laughs> yes. Do you have Do you have type two diabetes now? No, no, no. It's it's a couple months away still, but you know, Sadio Comic Con's on the horizon. <laughs> yes, and I'm usually trapped alone at a table the whole time. Well, you want me to bring you cookies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're gonna brag about how good these cookies are, maybe maybe homeboy should get to try them once in a while. <laughs> but but uh, you know, Joe, besides me wanting to eat your cookie, uh, we will. <laughs> oh, Matt, we got we got a ton many of other... have tried, <laughs> many have tried, many have failed, uh, many have failed. The lucky and... have succeeded. <laughs> there are, I'm sure, there will be plenty more people trying to eat each other's cookies in next week's white people problems because. These horny teens and Newport Beach just equal all types of sexy, sexy shenanigans. Yeah.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 